Welcome to our fifth sermon on our series called Fully Alive, which is a study or a walk through the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles here, uh, paper or otherwise or digital, please would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be picking up from 2 verses 1. And um, I don't know if you've become familiar with the term called fake news. Now, we as people who ought to be kind of dealing with truth uh, ought to be aware that this is an idea out there called fake news. And what fake news is, is basically something is given with a very biased perspective and even an untrue perspective, and it's purported as news. So what happens is that it gets shared on Facebook, it gets shared on Twitter, and people, it's so juicy and so meaty that people share it and share it and share it, until eventually, almost the culture is shaped by this piece of news, which is not true. Some of the fake news has even made it onto reputable news sites and news stations, and only to be discovered that this is not true. However, we've already started believing certain things. Uh, some of them are quite light and even kind of funny. Uh, this, went, this first one is almost neither. But um, there's a story that went around about the actor Keanu Reeves who was coming out to the media, uh, kind of coming out about all the Hollywood elite that were getting high on baby's blood. Uh, and then that came out to not be true. And another story that came out was a story that Coca-Cola, in their effort to connect with the environmentally conscious millennial generation who are eating all sorts of superfoods and that kind of thing, they were going to add three new flavors to their Coke Zero product, and they were going to bring out a Coke in the flavor of avocado, sourdough, and charcoal. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise, that wasn't true. But then it can get pretty serious. I read a story a few months ago about how two men were accused of abducting children on social media. And the word got out that this was on the go and they were being protected in a police station. Uh, and then the cr- crowd basically mobbed the police station, broke the gate down, got these guys out and burnt them alive, even though the accusations were not true. So l- let's maybe bring this closer to home because maybe as we think about our faith, Maybe we also we've grown up in a church or we've grown up uh, coming to services like this and we've come up with an understanding of what you believe to be true and then someone shared an article with us, we've watched a YouTube video, we've read a book or someone said watch this and suddenly we're exposed to something which seems foreign to what we believe in and we don't know how to engage with that and sometimes we've been rocked to our core because of this news and what do I do? Is this real? Is this true? What is real? What is true? And the reason why Paul is probably writing this letter is because this is what's going on with this church almost 2,000 years ago. You see, there they were, and they were coming to faith in Christ. These were Gentile Christians, not Jewish Christians. These were Christians who never knew Moses, who never knew Elijah and Elisha, and the stories about Abraham. And yet they were coming to faith in Christ, and they were still being exposed to Jewish, I mean, sorry, a Roman philosophy and Greek philosophy and all these other ideas, and they had no idea how to evaluate what was true. What do I believe? And in the same way, we are in the same situation. Just like, I mean, my brother-in-law and I were chatting the other day, when it comes to some of the news, and in particular, we're talking about the news in the United States, we were just saying we don't know what to believe anymore. Because even the major news agencies have a political bias to it. So what is true? How do we know what is true? And in the same way, when it comes to our faith, 
and what we believe to be true, Paul is going to help us anchor ourselves today so that we can become unshakable and we can become discerning in what we believe and what is true. So let's read together Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read till verse uh, verse 8. Just to let you know in advance, there's a number of verses where Paul pretty much speaks about some of the things he's been speaking about already. So it just may be reframing it in slightly different ways. Uh, so we're just going to move quickly over the, those verses. There's also a verse here that we actually parked off on um, about uh, six weeks ago in our previous preaching series, verse 6 and 7. Uh, so we're also not going to spend too much time there. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time on those verses we haven't touched on yet. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1. Paul's writing, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Remember, Paul did not plant this church. Uh, It seems like Onesimus planted this church, but yet Paul is still seeing himself as a leader, as an apostolic authority over this church. And he's concerned about what's going on, but he's writing from prison. And Paul has experienced this hardship, and he's not trying to have a pity party. He doesn't want them to feel bad about them. What he's trying to illustrate is, I am struggling on your behalf, much like Christ struggled on our behalf. Physically suffering. But there's an end game here, and for me, Paul is saying, it's worth it. That's what last week was about. It's worth it. Let's read on. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. We need complete understanding in order that we can know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And that is again what last week was about. This is where Paul is saying, here's my end game. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what I want you to understand. And when you get that, you'll experience encouragement, you'll experience love, you'll experience one-heartedness, all of these outcomes of having Christ at our center. In whom, this is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, this is where we're going to be focusing this morning. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. See, not only is Paul talking about some almost emotional, relational, spiritual outcomes of being rooted in Christ and, and knowing and understanding that we are in Christ and He's in us. Words like understanding, words like encouragement, words like unity, words like one-heartedness. He's also saying that in Christ are wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. This is a world, again, they were in a Roman city called Colossae. This was a world that valued wisdom and knowledge. They had Greek and Roman philosophers that many people still study today. And and their thoughts and ideas were literally shaping culture and shaping how people thought. And even some of these philosophers even had political power. And, And Paul is trying to say, as much as there's so much good thinking out there, you need to know that true wisdom and true knowledge is in Christ. Which is strange because he's saying it's in a person. See, we're so used to studying philosophy from books. And maybe even as a Christian, you might be saying, but isn't true wisdom and understanding found in God's Word? Steve, isn't that what you talk about all the time? And in many ways, yes. And if we do come to God's Word and we try and understand from God's Word how we are to live, what are we to believe, that is a fantastic place to start. But Paul is saying that is not enough. You see, we can't just approach God's Word like an encyclopedia. Like a textbook. 
We need to recognize that God's word is alive. And the goal of God's word is to help us know Christ, the person. In other words, the, very, the things that we see in God's word, we need to see in the person of Jesus. And these truths correspond and eventually find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul says, man, you need understanding. I pray that God gives you insights. I pray that God enlightens the eyes of your heart. I pray that God gives you the spirits of wisdom and understanding so that you may know him better. He says it in every single one of his major letters. So that when we come to God's word, we're not just reading data. We come away knowing Jesus better. So let's read on. We're going to come back to these verses just now. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And in the This Is Us series, we preached a whole sermon on these verses, just recognizing that the Christian life isn't just believing a bunch of things, but it's the lived reality of being rooted in Christ. The lived reality of being strengthened by Him and grown up and nurtured by the strength that He gives us. And our last verse for today, see to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So our verses today are verse 3, 4, and 8. Let me just read them in one go. In whom, this is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by found-sounding arguments. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. All true wisdom and knowledge is in Christ. He's warning us against being deceived by alternative truths, by fake news. And he's using this word, deceived. You see, this is where it comes to our lives now. This is when we click on that YouTube video. This is when we start watching a debate. This is when someone who's maybe got a different religious view than ours, or maybe even an atheistic view than ours, says, why don't you read this book? This is when we're in a debate with a friend and gets us to think about some things we never thought before. And we start listening to this. And to some of us, it starts sounding like a fine-sounding argument. Wow, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. It's not what I've always believed, but that makes sense. And then we're left in this quandary. Wow, do I now move over from what I used to believe to what you're saying is true? And Paul is saying in that moment, as we start thinking this makes sense, as we start nodding our heads, we are becoming vulnerable to being deceived. And the word that he used in verse 8 is becoming captive. Which by definition, there's something holding me into this new pattern of thinking. And that even if people come up to me and say, Hey Steve, I don't know if that's adding up. I don't know if you've thought this through. I don't know if that does represent who Christ is and what the Bible is saying. By definition, I'm now held captive. It becomes a lot more difficult for me to come out of this new pattern of thinking. Because I've been deceived. Now think about that word deceived. It means From my perspective, I don't go, I'm going to believe this thing that is not true and become deceived by it. No, we actually believe that this new way of thinking is true, right? That's what being deceived is. We profoundly believe it. There's this weird experience I've had growing up about a particular event that happened to me, well, 
you'll see how the story unfolded. It happened to me when I was a kid. So I've even maybe even told some of you this story that when I was about nine or ten years old, we were living in Port Elizabeth at the time, and I remember waking up. I was in my own room, waking up completely freaked out. And when I kind of came to and what's going on, there was a guy shining a torch from the outside into my bedroom. Uh, so I ran to my parents, uh, tried to kind of be sneaky so they couldn't see me, um, and, and they came out and we discovered that what was really going on was that there was a house broken into, a few houses down, and the cops had suspected that the guys had jumped into our yard and they were just trying to see if they were with us, all right? So anyway, so this is a quite a freaky thing to experience as a 9, 10-year-old, so I've been telling people, some of you included, that this was my story. A couple of years ago, sitting around with the family, started telling this story. I forget who else I was there. Uh, I forget who I was telling. Um, but halfway through the story, my sister looks at me and says, Stephen, that wasn't you. That was me. <laughs> and I'm like, that's nonsense. I can literally, in my mind's eye, picture the curtains half open and the torch coming into my room. My sister's like, no, that's me. That was my story. So I'm like, what's going on here? So I looked at my parents, and my parents are like, sorry, Steve, I don't know what's going on in your brain. Um, <laughs> but I was so convinced. <laughs> I, I still, maybe I need prayer about that. I still don't know. <laughs> but in the same way, we can begin to believe that other ideas that are contrary to Christ and contrary to who He is, Contrary to what is being believed in Scripture, we can, because of their fine soundingness, we can become wholeheartedly convinced that this fake news is true. This alternative truth is true. So, of course, what am I talking about? I'm talking about ideas. Now, um, if you've heard me preach any time in the last few months, you would know that I've become so aware that for Paul, the greatest thing that he wants us to understand is the relationship that we can have experientially with Jesus. That man, Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that I may know him better. And he wants us to be aware of that and to know Jesus in the same way that he knows Jesus personally. I always talk about there's two ways of knowing. There's kind of knowing about the steak and then there's eating the steak. There's knowing facts about Bianca, and then there's actually knowing Bianca the way I know her. And there's knowledge about Jesus, facts and data. And then there's the knowledge of Jesus, that I know him personally. And for most of the time, Paul is saying, it's not okay for you to have this head knowledge. You need to have this heart knowledge. And now in this passage, he kind of comes back and says, but don't forget the head knowledge because that's important too. We're talking about ideas. We're talking about philosophy. Now, some of you are sitting saying, well, Stephen, you know what? Ignorance is bliss. I, I'm not a particularly intelligent person, or maybe I'm not a like, philosophical person. No, I just want to go to work, or I just want to raise my kids, or I just want to do my thing and, and watch TV and do my best to love Jesus and leave it at that. We'll leave the heavy thinking to, to you and Craig and the theological types in this world. Now, that sounds kind of pious, right? But let's understand what's at stake here. What's at stake here is not, well, there's those theologians that understand certain things I don't understand, but that's okay. No, Paul says what's at stake is being deceived. And the end point of that is ultimately being held captive. 
You see, just to use an analog here, much in the same way that God uses certain people to share the gospel, we call them evangelists, and they are just more effective in what they do, but we're all called to be evangelists. So yes, God does use certain people to mine the truths of the gospel and to get deep into God's word and try to teach others in that. In the same way, we are also all called to apply our minds to God's word. We are also all called to grow year on year in our understanding of these things. See, when you make a statement about God, it doesn't matter what it is, that's theology, that's philosophy. When you interpret events, when you're trying to help your kids understand certain things, you are appealing to the world of ideas. And Paul is saying there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake here. Throughout the years of leading a young adult life group in our home, we've had a number of people come in studying medicine and then go out and do their comm serve and eventually become doctors. And they've told us one of the biggest painful things in the world is Dr. Google, right? Where um, people have a sniffy nose and they go onto the internet and they discover they've only got three months to live, right? Um, Or they walk into the doctor's office and they say, look, I've Googled my symptoms. I'm going to save you some time. Uh, Here's the medicine I need. And the doctors are just scratching their heads saying, you know, we can't do that. You see, a doctor, even starting out, they've studied 10 years. And we think by being on the internet for five minutes, we can bypass everything they know. And maybe, and this is so applicable to us, maybe there are certain basic things we can come to. And let's, let's say I discover I have a certain condition or a certain disease. If, if, if I look in the right places, I can discover great things about that. But you see, when a doctor comes to our symptoms, especially when things get quite tricky, they're referring to an entire body of knowledge. They're thinking through things that Google will never show to us. And in the same way, we come to these ideas that we have such limited exposure to, where there's limited exposure to these new ideas. I mean, lately, it seems like we can't think in more than 142 characters. You know, these Twitter-type theology thoughts. And you buy into these ideas. We've had such limited exposure and we've had such limited discipline in our own lives to understand what we do believe that you become so gullible and so open to being deceived and ultimately being found captive. Now let me say what Paul's not saying. What Paul is not saying is that everything that doesn't come out of these pages is evil and untrue. I mean, nowhere does the Bible say that water is made out of oxygen and hydrogen. There is no Bible verse that says coffee is awesome and that cats are evil, all right, even though that's true. But we do understand one of the ways we would say it in a shorthand way is that all truth is God's truth. See, God created this universe. God understands our universe in ways we will never understand. If you just look at the history of any scientific endeavor, it's just humans revising what they've always learned. And hopefully we're on a trajectory of understanding more and more. But people are going to look back at us in 50 years' time and say, man, those guys in 2019 were idiots for believing that about science or the universe. So God knows all those things. He knows our missteps. He created the universe. He created our bodies. He created the natural world. He created our minds. He knows how we think. And we as humans, whether we are Christian or not, are in this journey of discovering all these things God has made. So when we understand the universe, man, we, we, are, we call that astrophysics or astronomy. 
When we understand the human mind, we call that psychology. When we understand the body, we call that medical science. When we understand the natural world, we call that biology. When we understand some of the difficult tensions and the big questions of life and why am I here, we call that philosophy. We are journeying to understand all of this that God has already created, and that is good. Paul says there's so much that we can come to know about God and what He's done by what has been made. And that is good. But here's the thing that we face as human beings is a temptation to believe that our thoughts become the new God. So we eliminate God out the system. And we're, instead of going, well, here's which, like so many thinkers in the past have recognized that God is above it all. And we are seeking to discover what He has made. No, we eliminate Him out of the system. We think that our ideas are the endpoints of our genius, and we set that up as a new God in our lives. And Paul is saying when we do that, we become captive to these things. Instead of recognizing, man, there are treasures of wisdom hidden in Christ. Just by the way, when he says hidden in Christ, it's not like I look in Jesus, I can't find them. But think about a mind and the jewels that are hidden in that mind and we get to go into that mind and bring them out and find them and enjoy them. And in the same way, all true wisdom and knowledge is to be found in Christ. This is why Paul says, if you're not going to be deceived, you need to know these things. Spoken about the two ways of knowing. So let's get practical. How are we, without doing another uh, series on apologetics, how are we going to ensure that we become more rooted so that we know Christ, we know wisdom and understanding, so that we're not deceived, we're not held captive? My first point is this. If you're taking notes, don't have an overhead screen today. Um, If you're taking notes, the first point is this. Get to know the real thing. Get to know the real thing. Just like maybe you've discovered a a little gem of a restaurant. And not only have you read the reviews, the the knowledge about the restaurant. Man, you've eaten there. And you've made your way through the menu. And you know that restaurant is awesome. And someone goes, well, I heard that this restaurant is not that great. I heard that service is not that great. But you're saying, no, 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 that's not true. Why? Not only because you've read the reviews, but you've eaten there. You know that restaurant in the same way. When we know Christ's heart knowledge head knowledge. We are more established and we are more equipped to recognize what is deceitful and what is going to hold us captive. So how do we kind of marry this head knowledge and the heart knowledge? The one way of knowing almost philosophically, theologically about Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus. Well, I can only tell you what I do. And what I do comes off the basis of the kinds of things that we've been talking about in the last few weeks the kinds of things that I've seen where Paul has this heart for these churches and the kinds of things he prays for them. Every single time, here's what I do. Every single time I come to God's Word, I don't just open and read. I come to God's Word recognizing that if, if God doesn't open the eyes of my heart, I'm just going to read this as data and knowledge. The Bible says I don't just need knowledge because that makes me proud. I need love because that makes me humble. So how do I do this? So I come to God's word and I say, Lord, and I just preach, you know, I just pray a variety of things. But basically, Lord, would your Holy Spirit give me insight into your word today? Would you enlighten the eyes of my heart so that I can know you better? Would Holy Spirit, would you give me the spirits of wisdom and understanding as I read your word so that I have insight? In other words, so that I see what I wouldn't normally have seen unless you are helping me see these things. And not just deeper knowledge, 
But Holy Spirit, would you help me that when I come away from our time together today, I know Jesus better. And I set that up as my goal. And I don't think I've had a day where it's felt like this tsunami of awareness rolling over me. Just like I look at my kids and uh, my one son's birthday is tomorrow and I just think about how they're growing. But day on day, I don't see their growth. Month on month, maybe, but year on year, definitely. And in the same way, it just feels like God is slowly answering that prayer in my life. By coming with this posture of, I don't just want data. I want to know Jesus. So Holy Spirit, help me as I come to your word. Help me know your son better. It just feels like God is slowly allowing, you know, those like dimmer lights. Just they're slowly coming on. And I feel like I'm starting to experience what Paul is praying for me, what Paul is praying for you, that we know him better. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I was reading this author recently, his name's Scott Sauls. And he was saying, and maybe this has been your experience, that it seems like in our human state, we've got an automatic distaste for God's word. The other day, I cooked a meal, and one of the sides was a, a sort of a portion of spinach. You know, like, should we get our kids to eat this? Okay, let's try. So as Nate is eating the spinach, he, he's never done this before. He looks at me, and his face is all crinkled up. And he says, Daddy, why is the spinach so yucky to me? All right? Just this aversion to this taste. And what Scott Sauls is saying is that even though so many of us have a distaste for God's word, maybe the problem isn't with God's word, maybe it's the problems with us. Maybe it's the taste buds of our soul that we need to bring before God and allow His Holy Spirit to regenerate so that His Holy Spirit starts giving us a desire for His word. Starts changing what we yearn for. Starts changing. And as we see Jesus, we want more of this. Not so that I can become cleverer, so that I can know Him better. He shows me more of Jesus. There's more of His Spirit in my life. I want to come back to His Word. I want to come back to abiding in Him. I want to come back to spending more time with Him because I'm seeing Jesus better. And that is what we need to desire that God does in our lives. God giving us this Holy Spirit animated, christ oriented hearts. So the first thing we need to do is get to know the real thing, and we do this in prayer, by asking God to allow us to see, give us wisdom, insight, understanding as we come to His Word. The second thing we need to do, and it's very similar, but it's just subtly different, so I want to mention it, and with this we'll be finishing up. The second thing we need to do is to ask God to make His truth catch fire in your heart. Catch fire in your heart. It's a famous intellectual, his name is Jonathan Edwards, and he's considered by many, even non-Christian intellectuals, to be one of the West's greatest intellectuals in history. But he was also a pastor, and he was also a theologian, and he wrote an entire massive book called Religious Affections. And what he's arguing for in this book, he's saying that theology hasn't finished doing its work in you until it's caught fire in your heart and captured your imagination. Think about that. Reading God's Word, it hasn't done its work in you until there's something moving in you. And there's something moving in your mind. Basically saying it's not okay to have these puffed up heads and loveless hearts. But we need to recognize these truths of Scripture not only as true, but as beautiful. And only the Spirit can do that in you. There's another story about a great thinker, also considered one of the greatest thinkers of the West. 
His name is Thomas Aquinas, and he literally, his big, great work that he gave his life to was to develop this work called Summa Theologica, which I have to read this. It's 38 treatises, 3,000 articles, and 10,000 objections. And what he was trying to do as a theologian is to gather all into one work all the findings of science, ethics, psychology, political theory, theology, all under God. Literally gave decades of his life to doing this. One of the brightest minds. About three months before he died, obviously he never knew he was going to die then. He was taking communion and the Lord gave him a vision. He doesn't even try and describe it to us. By the way, Jonathan Edwards, who I spoke about earlier, had a similar thing. He does try and describe it. Uh, Thomas Aquinas had this vision of God. He doesn't even try to describe it. It so moved him, he literally put his pen down and refused to carry on writing. So one of his friends went up to him and said, listen, you can't do this to us. We need this work. We need this investment that you have given your life to. Come on, please, once you finish it, it'll be such a gift to our world. This is what Thomas Aquinas says. I can do no more. Such things have been revealed to me that all I have written seems so much straw. Now what he's not saying is what I've written was wrong. He's simply saying that as much as I was excited about the truths of those things intellectually, when I saw the reality of which I was writing about, they seemed so inconsequential. And that is what God wants to start doing in our lives. When you talk about wisdom and knowledge, yes, He wants us to understand truth so we have a discerning mind, but he wants us to see the reality and experience the reality to which these truths point, which is Christ. He wants that to be formed in us. And he wants the Holy Spirit to make us increasingly aware of this reality in our hearts. And guys, what's going to stop us from being deceived is when people come with alternative thoughts and theories. It's not like, oh, you know what? I read a book on that three years ago. Let me try and find that. No, 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 no. I know Christ. I have tasted and seen that He's good. And this doesn't line up with that. And I can guarantee that if this is the life we live, as we grow in our heart knowledge of Jesus, we will grow in our head knowledge of Jesus because these great truths point towards a greater reality which is found in Christ. So I want to pray that God does that in us. And as much as I have faith that there are times when you are gathered like we are today, that God can move in. And for some of you this morning, He may just switch on a light switch for you. And He may just suddenly, you're reading God's Word, and suddenly you realize this is all pointing towards a reality which is in Christ. And suddenly you're going to be coming away with a greater sense of who Christ is. For some of you, there might just happen today. There might just be an acceleration into this. For others of you, this needs to become a prayer. This needs to become a posture that every time we come to God's Word, every time we come to a message, Lord, may I see the greater reality that these truths are pointing to. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So let's pray. God, my greatest prayer is that we all have our Thomas Aquinas experience. That there are things we know, there are verses we've memorized, there are books we've read in the Bible. There are precious truths we've come to nurture in our lives. But God, this is not knowledge to make us clever. 
Your word is to make us wise unto salvation and to understand the reality of Christ in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask for us, Riverside Community Church, that you would be doing this. That you would be sensitizing us to the kinds of things you want us to see in Jesus. That God, when you are calling us to live in a certain way, it's not just so that we're moral good boys and girls, but that we are living in a way that helps us represent Christ to this world, but also helps us walk with Jesus. When you challenge certain ways of patterns of thinking in our minds and the attitudes of our hearts, it's so that we can know Jesus better. So Holy Spirit, give us this kind of insight. Allow some of these scales of our hearts and scales of our eyes to fall off so that we be taken into this three-dimensional way of engaging your truths. So yes, Lord, we grow in knowledge. Yes, Lord, we grow in wisdom. Yes, Lord, we become discerning. Yes, Lord, we are not easily deceived. We are not easily captured by alternative ideas. But more than that, that we become more and more rooted in Christ, more and more strengthened and grown up in Him, more and more acquainted with the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Holy Spirit, do this. May we be surprised by how you bring us into you and how you lead us deeper and further. How much we begin to not just see you, but to enjoy you. And again, God, this is only work that you can do. Thank you for reminding us that this is what we need. This is what we need. Holy Spirit, continue to alert us to this need. That we don't just say, oh, that is great, and go back to our old patterns of relating to you. But that we come to you every single time, asking you, Holy Spirit, to bring us deeper, show us more that we may know Jesus better. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.